Welcome to the CGM Mission and Methods podcast. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I am your host on this third season of the CGN Mission and Methods podcast. The season actually starts March 2nd, this coming Wednesday, but because of what's going on in Ukraine right now and because of who we as a network have relationships with in Ukraine, we wanted to take this special episode and speak with some of our missionaries and friends on that side of the world in Eastern Europe, get some perspective on that and uh, do that. So this will be kind of the the bonus episode that's coming out before the rest of the season. We hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast and keep up to date on the episodes which are coming out soon. So today I am joined by Aaron Salvato, the CGN podcast director. Hey, Aaron. Hey, how's it going, Nick? Good. So Aaron, maybe help me and help our listeners understand what is our goal with this conversation, and then I'll introduce us to our guests today. Yeah, so very briefly... Yesterday, we were having our staff meeting with our CGN team, and we were just discussing what was going on in the world because it was happening like at that moment, like during our staff meeting, we were, you know, Kellen Criswell, our director, was uh, seeing the information come through and relaying it to our staff. So we were like, what can we do? How can we help? And my thought was, there are so many people within our church family of Calvary Chapel that are affected by this. We have churches in Ukraine. And then in the U.S., we have people who may not know exactly what is going on. And so, you know, it's easy to take a picture that says pray for Ukraine and post it. But for a lot of us, we don't actually know what is happening and we don't have that perspective because we're not on the ground. And so I just thought it would be great for us to hear from our missionaries who are either in Ukraine or have been in Ukraine and just to get their perspective get their heart, hear where they're coming from. So I thought that would be just a lot more helpful than, you know, just whatever the mainstream news is saying. So that that's the goal. We want to hear their heart and get their perspectives and, and learn from them. So to that end, we have Jed Gorley and Pam Markey as our guests today, all the way from Tbilisi, Georgia. Hi, Jed and Pam. Glad to have you with us. Hi, Nick. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I know that you, although you're not in Ukraine, you both have a long history of missions in Ukraine. You have a lot of friends there. And when we were thinking about who should we talk to, of course, we thought about we should talk to maybe some of our missionaries who are on the ground in Ukraine. But then we thought, you know, also they have a lot on their hands right now. So we thought, actually, it might be better to talk to the two of you. So Jed, Pam, let's, let's start with Pam. But could you just introduce yourselves to us and tell us your history with Calvary Chapel in Ukraine. Yes. So in 1992, my husband and our eight children went to Ukraine um, to plant, plant a church there. And it was right after the Soviet Union had, had fallen. And so we just began that process of church planting, actually, and ended up being there. The idea was to turn the church over to nationals. We wanted it to be an indigenous church and really affect the culture of the people that are there. We thought at the time, we were pretty, yeah, didn't quite have a full understanding of how much time that was going to take. We but thought it'd take one year. Yeah, we thought one year. Yeah. We actually told our kids, we're going to go there for a year. You know, we can do this. And some of them said, okay, I can put my life on hold for a year. And so 14 years later, we were ready to turn the church over and actually moved on to Kyrgyzstan at that time. But yeah, so that's kind of the, the, short, the short form. Yeah. Jed, how about you? Well, I was the youth leader 
uh, I guess you could say, in the church where George was the pastor. And so when they went overseas, they asked me if I'd like to join them. And I had been to college for a year, but really wasn't settled on that that was the major I wanted to do. So I thought, sure, I'll take a year off of college and come join you and work with young people in Ukraine. And so a couple months after they had gone to Ukraine, I went and joined them in Kiev and helped them in uh, the planting of that first church in the capital of Ukraine. Wow. So tell us a little bit about what happened. I mean, I, I know the story, but I think it's a wonderful story that needs to be told just briefly about, you know, what's happened with Calvary Chapel since then in Ukraine. And Pam, I know that though you no longer live in Ukraine, you have kids who do. So tell us a little bit. Yeah, so we just began to kind of dig into the into the culture there, wanting to be a part of what was going on with people. And so we had our oldest two were 16 and the youngest was five months. And it really just gave us an opportunity to kind of enter it in every area of, of the culture. So they all, we enrolled them all in public schools. Johnny started going to kindergarten. I went to the poly clinics to take the baby and just that opportunity to really connect with people, which uh, became a very important part of relationships to even beginning the church. We moved into a, a place where we, there was enough room for us, like four efficiency apartments. Things were really cheap in those days, like $15 a, a, an apartment an efficiency, but we were all able to be on the same floor and which gave a, a unique opportunity for ministry. They, the Jed and the two 16 year olds and another young man went to the school and said, Hey, we'd like to teach English. Can we? And in those days it was like an open door. And they mm -hmm. said, well, we're going to use the Bible. They said, we don't care. Come on in and teach English. And so almost every night after that, we had young people up in our apartment and then parents began to check it out. And yeah, and that's kind of how things got started. The kids were such a really, people had questions about taking eight kids there and that we're going to spend all of our time being with the kids. And But actually, my dad, who was a missionary in, in Africa for a number of years, said, you know, what looks like your greatest uh, weakness in that sense is going to be your strength. And it turned out to be prophetic because mm. actually it was the kids making contacts on the street, learning the language right away and so forth a lot quicker than I did or did a lot of work to do that. But, but yeah, that was kind of the, the beginning and then making relationships that, that still go on today as things are happening there. Definitely more sort of the home church in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then that one Love church, that. you know, we had people um, that would come over, other pastors and leaders, and they would just want to, we would encourage them to, hey, just hang out, visit, stay with the church. Some of them would stay six months, some would stay a year, kind of catch the vision of what we were doing, take some of the people from the church, move to a different city and, and start another church. And so we got to see the expansion of that, of that movement as uh, one church was really nine churches got planted out of that original church. But today there's probably 20, 20 Calvary chapels in Ukraine. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. I've had the opportunity to go and serve over there for, for oh, wow. It's probably been over 10 years that I've been really involved over there. Prior to that, I was in Hungary. I knew a lot of you, but I've been blessed to be involved. And so maybe you could just help our our listeners know a little bit about what is happening in Ukraine? Like, could you just briefly summarize the conflict and what's happening? Sure. It's, it's just really fresh. You know, just a couple days ago, 
Russia started invading. I say a couple days ago because that's when really everything kind of came to a climax. But this has been going on for the last eight years, and I think people need to see that, that this isn't something that they just up and decided to do, but they've been working towards this for a long time. But finally, two days ago, it just, they sent in troops. Those troops are now making way to Kiev. They're encircling cities. They're taking over land. They're bombing cities. Bridges are being destroyed. It's just turning into a very brutal conflict. And estimates have said that if this continues, they're expecting up to 50,000 casualties. And so it's it's a very hot conflict at the moment and one that really requires prayer and wisdom to know how to, to navigate, especially for those that are on the ground in Ukraine. We're not in Ukraine, and so our hearts are there with them, but we're just praying for, for God to give them wisdom and how to proceed. And I think some of the background's important, too, that, that like Jed just said, it's been going on for eight years, and and it's been active fighting in those border areas where... We've had chaplains that are out there on the front lines. We've had church members that have gone and done concerts with the with the soldiers. There's a lot of PTSD. There, it's just really affected the whole sort of atmosphere of the country. But even seeing it through this and getting a lot of information from people right now just are, are writing and saying, the spirit of the Ukrainian people is amazing. It's just they're resilient. They're, they're there to be there for one another. There, it's, uh, yeah, I just heard from, and I, I do have children there, but I just heard from one of them that they're just, they're so proud of the people and the way they're going through it and how the churches are reaching out and, and as people are migrating from one place in the Ukraine to what could be a safer place, there'll be refugee situations and the churches are opening their doors and getting blankets and food and just wanting to reach out to people. It's just, it's been really scary, you know, if you have people that are there but also heartwarming to see just the body of Christ, really. Mm, wonderful. I, I know that one thing that I've seen on social media that's been shared a few times is there's a, a photo of a bunch of Ukrainian Christians huddled in the snow praying together, which to me was just so inspiring to see. You know, it's it's the kind of thing that you, as a Christian, you grow up, you know, reading about martyrs and and persecution and but you know here in our context you don't often see that really happening in the way it's happening over there so for for me when i saw that i was just so inspired yeah that picture was from the city of kharkiv and mm. i actually mm. had plane tickets to fly to kharkiv this mm. coming sunday and obviously that's that's been wow. canceled wow. um but my heart's very much there with them and I, i've been talking to some of the church leaders, which brings me to our next question, uh, which is, what what are some of the ways in which this conflict is impacting the Christian church at, at large in Ukraine and our Calvary family? Maybe give us some examples. Yeah, I think we're still trying to get connected with people that are there too. It's been so sudden and so intense that we have not been in close contact with a lot of the leaders there. But for the bits and pieces that we've heard and been able to put together, the churches are just really strong. The churches are really encouraged and they're trying to take care of the people that are going to their churches. They're reaching out during this time. Like Pam said, in, in the West, they're preparing to receive lots of refugees already tonight. Lots of cars, people, lines are outside of churches trying to look for shelter. And so they see it as a way of showing the love of Christ and of reaching out to people in, in this time of need. I, I really think 
it's going to be unifying for the yeah. churches. Mm -hmm. I mean, you never want to see a painful situation like this. You never want to see something like this, but, but all of a sudden walls get knocked down and love begins mm -hmm. to pour out from one heart to another. And I think it's going to be a tremendously unifying thing for the churches there. I today called a really dear friend that's there in Kiev, there with her family, and she's been a part of one of the latest church plants that's going on. And just saying, you know, concerned, how are you doing? And she said, you know, the main thing is we're not supposed to panic. We're just mm -hmm. living our lives. The Lord's going to take care of us. And she has family there. And just that, that attitude of, you know, trust, really trusting the Lord and knowing this is where I'm supposed to be. And I think that's a big thing right now that I think people should know is that different people will make different decisions about what should happen, you know. Should we go? Should we get the children here? Should we do this and that? And I think our job is to support and to pray that the Lord will grant wisdom to each individual and to just be receptive of whatever that is, you know, because the Lord has his plans been for each person and he knows that I think it's really important just demonstrating, praying for and demonstrating just, you know, we're for you. Whatever you decide mm -hmm. to do, we're here. The church sits on the outside saying that. I think it's that's super important. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just as you mentioned the church being united, I had just an anecdotal experience of that this week. I was talking to some church leaders in the eastern part of Ukraine, church leaders who had kind of had some conflicts, interpersonal conflicts that led to some division. But throughout the midst of this conflict, they've actually come and reconciled. They begin speaking again, wow. praying for each other again. And Praise I thought the Lord. that's, that's really good. And mm -hmm. it's beautiful. so just let's, let's help people understand this conflict a little bit deeper. I'm going to ask some questions just because we know that people don't really fully understand the situation. Maybe they, they're not sure if they can get the whole picture from watching the news or whatever, but what, what do you think is the reason why Russia thinks that it can invade a sovereign country like Ukraine? <laughs> I mean, no one can get into the mind, you know, of a president, of course, but the, this, again, this has been going on for a long time and it's not that he just up and decided to do this, but you know, his, he's made it clear that he does not want Ukraine. He does not want Georgia to enter into NATO. And uh, the, the more that that's progressed in that direction, the more he's taken it into his hands to to make sure that that doesn't happen. And we may think that that's kind of a 19th century or mentality, and we're in the 21st century and people should be able to work out their, you know, their disagreements, but the world doesn't always work that way, especially if you're, you think realistically about human nature and the way people act and, and things. And so it's been his decision to invade that is, is for his own personal desire to protect his country. He sees that it would be better for there to be a buffer country in between him and NATO than for Georgia and for Ukraine to enter into this kind of security union. There's probably other factors such as language, at least that he uses as a pretext. People in Eastern Ukraine are more Russian speaking historically. People in Western Ukraine are more Ukrainian speaking. That has been changing. The dynamics have been changing. Russia has been losing influence throughout the country because of time and because of their own cultural identity and the strengthening of their national identity. And uh, so I think he just came to a point where it's either now or never. Yeah. You know, 
Would you say that the Russian speakers in Ukraine identify as Ukrainians or as Russians? It really depends. And, and again, probably the people in the East would have a much better uh, idea of answering that question. But I've talked to people who, you know, a lot, especially the older generations, a lot of them are sad that the Soviet Union no longer exists. And they'll say, well, we could buy Kalbasa for a ruble or we could buy this for so many kopecks. And, and they think back to these times when the leeks and onions, you know, were were great mm -hmm. and they forget that they were in a land of, of slavery and everybody was subservient. So there are quite a few people who would rather be in Russia. They would rather be speaking only Russian. But for the most part, I don't think that that's the case at all. I think that the, the nation has formed in such a way that they are making huge momentum in terms of their own national identity and their own culture and their own beautiful language and, and people. For example, the woman that I just talked to, the dear friend I talked to today, she's actually ha was lived in Siberia, so she's Russian. She married a Ukrainian, and, and she's very proud of the country. She speaks Ukrainian and Russian, and she's, you know, she's happy for that. She wants to uphold where she is. You know, there's no desire that Russia would come in and, and, and take over, but she also doesn't hold deep animosity, you know, Mm -hmm. But it's just, yeah. And I think that's mm -hmm. what you find, especially in Kiev, there's a mixture. As you go west, of course, it's much more culturally, deeply Ukrainian. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, something I wanted to interject there is I, I thought it was interesting. You know, I'm, I'm coming at the situation sort of as a political uh, moron. Like, I don't know much of the history, so I'm learning from you guys right now. I'm trying to study. I think there's a lot of our pastors who might be in that place where it's like, this is a new, this is new to me and I'm learning. As I was looking through different posts on social media talking about this, there was one that I came across that was fascinating to me because it was talking about the conflict. And in the comment section, there was people identifying themselves as Russian citizens saying, we are so sorry. Like, this is not what we want. Like, please forgive us, forgive our country. Like, this is our leader doing this. This isn't what we want. Like, we don't want violence. We don't want war. Like, we're so sorry this is happening. Can you speak into that dynamic at all of sort of the difference between the Russian people and then the Russian government? Oh, for sure. I mean, even here in Georgia, who's had quite a history with Russia, Russia invading in uh, 2008, something very similar to what's going on in Ukraine. When you talk to people, they'll say, yes, we love Russian people. It's the Russian government we don't mm. like. So they, they can separate mm. the two. And even within Russia, mm. I mean, if you've looked at the news, you, I think there were protests in over 50 cities within Russia last night with over 1,700 people arrested by the police wow. for protesting this war and, and this mm. craziness. And so, yeah, there is a huge amount of people who disagree, although there is a huge amount percentage of people that agree. And that's why Putin thinks that he mm. can get mm. by with this. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I found it interesting that one of the things that Putin said is that his goal is to demilitarize the country of <laughs> Ukraine and to denazify the country. <laughs> yeah. I found, I found that just interesting. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm not seeing the whole picture, but their president Zelensky is a, is a democratically elected Jewish person and he's a Russian speaker. And so I find it to be kind of interesting that that's his pretext. Yeah. Well, anytime you can bring in terms that are reminiscent of World War II, I'm sure they're showing mm -hmm. the old World War II movies on TV right now in Russia, and they're trying to, to get this patriotism and nationalism brought up to a fever pitch. 
And so to tie that in with that, and, and it gives people more of a reason to label someone, even a whole people and a whole country as the enemy. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what this means for the church. So are there strong leaders in the churches in Ukraine? There's a lot of fear right now. How are these leaders handling it? You've mentioned some, but maybe speak a little bit more into that. Yeah, I think that, of course, there's some strong leaders. The, the works there have been, this is already the third decade of churches that are being planted there. And there's whole movements of, of training of leaders that are taking place and of working with pastors. And, and the, the, the neat thing about the churches is in Ukraine is that they have a, a history of being united, of coming together every month, uh, every two months, uh, you know, twice a year, and then coming together at, at conferences just to share with one another what's happening in their cities and to pray for one another. And so unlike mm. other think places where I've been, I think there was a special work of unity within those churches that has led to a stronger, uh, a stronger movement as a whole. And, and those churches are standing strong and those leaders have support of the congregations and, and they're working together. Even in the West where things are, so many of the refugees are coming in from other places, it's working together across denominational lines and being willing to really just hold hands together. And, and that's been because they've done that in the past. They've had pastors' prayer meetings. They've had things where even across denominational lines, they've made relationships intentionally. And it's for such a time as this, really, then they're able to do that. And it builds, actually, if, I think you said this, Nick, but it, it does encourage unity to see those things that are happening. Yeah. And then hanging together. Mm. Something I heard about Ukraine, and I mean, I, I could, I've experienced it somewhat, but have you heard this, that Ukraine is the most evangelical or born-again country per capita in all of Europe? They have the highest percentage of born-again Christians. Have you heard that same statistic? I've heard something similar to that. Yeah. And I think I think there's probably a lot of truth as, as Europe has kind of progressively become less and less of a, a Christian, you know, Christian countries uh, together, then Ukraine has experienced even types of revival in the 90s and mm -hmm. just outpourings that have really strengthened the churches uh, there. Yeah. And how do you think that Christians uniquely are dealing with the situation, with the fear and the uncertainty about the future? Mm. That's a hard one because it's very individual <clears throat> and, and how it hits you immediately you know, and then how you process it afterwards. Just again, I always think of the people I've been in contact with just as examples, but you know, one day it's just like, we're here, we're going to reach out. I want to help. I want to do those things. And then, you know, the, the sirens come in and the things happen and, and fear happens, mm -hmm. you know? And so then there's mm -hmm. tears and think what's happening to me. And even a guilt sort of, why am I this way today? And I wasn't yesterday, you know, which is what, what these times happen. And so then today it's like, yes, you know, I found my feet again. This is, this is where I am. This is where I want to be. And I think there's a lot of that, you know, going on, just yeah. working through traumatic situations. Mm. And, and I think a lot of it too, and I, I've thought about this today also is that those who have, have been in the word and have been parts of their church communities and relationships and stuff, and there it's, it's. It shows now when the pressure's on, those things come out. You can't just think when, when the pressure comes, I'll be okay. But actually mm. it shows that all this groundwork and all this being in the word and making relationships makes a huge difference. And so, yeah, I think, but 
but I don't know if that answers the question. It's just you can't really broad. Oh, absolutely. You can't broad brush it, you know. And and again, mm-hmm. I would just encourage people just to pray, pray for that very thing, the ups and downs that happen during these kind of crisis situations. They're not what define us, you know. Yeah. What defines mm-hmm. us is wherever we are, whatever small place it is, that we're going to trust the Lord and we're going to walk in that. And whether that means I, I leave the country or I have my, you know, little breakdowns now and again, we're in his hands, you know, and just encouraging mm-hmm. people to, we're for you, you know, we're, that's what mm-hmm. God does for us. You know, he's on our side. He's not judging us. Mm-hmm. Amen. So uh, one of the big questions we have from our listeners is what can people do? I, I was at a pastor's breakfast just today and a lot of people asking me that very thing. Is there anything we can do? You know, is there anything we can do financially? Is there anything we can send supply-wise? What Mm. needs do people have? How can we be praying specifically? Yeah, those are all good questions. And I think some of them are still being worked out in terms of organizing things and getting things put together. I already know of a couple of the churches that are starting to receive funds in the West because they're already starting to house people, starting to get food for refugees who are coming that direction. And they're expecting in Poland, in Western Ukraine, they're expecting a 1 million refugees to be coming that way. And wow. so that's a huge number of people that are going to be needy. And this is winter time. And so winter means cold and cold means, you know, problems with uh, not enough blankets at the borders when people are trying to get across and, and cars running out of fuel and things like that. And so I think, you know, having mm-hmm. some churches that can receive those funds in order to to disperse them and use them in ways is is very good. And I think, you know, other countries, Poland is going to have a lot yes. of uh, refugees to deal with. Churches in Poland that could be able to support and be, begin to do a refugee ministry. We have refugees here in Georgia from Ukraine that have come and that are landed here and and they're looking for housing and they're looking for, for, for clothing and, and things like that since they just came with kind of the shirts on their backs. So I think a lot of it can be, now's the time for the church to shine. Now's the time when the church really does do what it does. It just serves the needs of the people with the hands of Christ and what God gives and where mm-hmm. he, he provides those resources. So I think through those churches is going to be a, a dynamic outpouring of of god's grace during this time i think just practically Mm. speaking if you're just sitting there thinking what can i do you know if you have any contact with someone who's actually on site in the country with if you know a church or you know some leaders funnel those things through those people that you know you know and Mm -hmm. and that you know are doing are doing those things if that makes sense you know yeah Mm. and let me let me say one thing that might be good not to do you know, I think what you guys did on this show was wise. You said, we want to talk to somebody on the ground, but we realize that they're probably pretty burdened. Mm. So we thought we'd talk to you mm. and we're away from the situation. And I think that's good. Everybody wants the latest news and everybody wants to help. Right. And so people want to reach out and, and contact those people that are there. And I think that's just not the best thing to do because it's going to wear out yeah. the missionaries, the pastors, those people, yeah. the the feel then like, well, we've got to get in contact. We've got to make a video for this church. We've got to do this so that we can have, they want to do all that, but there's such a great um, need right now that I think we just have to be wise in how we do that 
contact. Yeah, and, and if I can throw in there, we do have a missionary within our network named Benjamin Morrison, mm -hmm. and he is actually in Ukraine right now, and you don't even need to bother him to ask him what's going on. He's posting on his Facebook what's going on and how you can pray specifically. So, yeah, I agree. Don't pester them. If they want to tell us what's going on, they'll probably use the power of social media to do that. Yeah, and Ben has posted a way that people can give financially through his mm. church, and he will make sure that that money is used to help people. Another one that I have been dealing with recently is that people in Hungary, the Calvary Chapel Church family in Hungary, they border Ukraine, and they have been just really burdened with how they can help. They've been also receiving a lot of refugees into Hungary, and the mm. Calvary Chapel churches are banding together, helping people from the border, helping them. They're opening up their conference center mm. uh, so that they can take in some people. So mm. I was also told that if people want to give to help the refugees, they can do that through the Calvary Chapels in Hungary. A good place to start with that would be by Googling Calvary Chapel Budapest or Golgota Budapest, mm. and they have ways for you to give there. Yeah, that's great. I've got a question I'd like to throw in here. And, and to me, it's sort of, um, it's a delicate question. It's a delicate question, but I think it's an important one. And, and, and to, you know, to start it off, uh, to frame it, I would say, as somebody who's coming at this, I've learned a lot from you guys, but as somebody who's coming at this, you know, as a pastor, as a Christian, watching a situation unfold that I didn't have a lot of geopolitical context for, I knew in my heart why I resisted it. It wasn't just because there was social media posts saying pray for Ukraine. It's because as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, I am firmly against any form of violence and war in the quest for power or resources or land. I do not believe as a Christian, that's my conviction. It's wrong to kill other human beings in the image of God in that quest for power. And so something that has you know, and this is something that's just come on my radar, but I'm noticing it and I'm seeing people talk about it. There are within the United States, some politicians and some pundits and even some politicians and pundits that normally Christians within our spheres would look to as leaders and examples who are actually taking a more pro-Russia, pro-Putin stance. And, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but there's actually one pundit that's very watched by Christians whose stances have been so pro-Russia that I, I've seen reports that his broadcasts are being rebroadcasted by Russian state TV, sort of as propaganda for Russia. So my question is, uh, how would you help Christians navigate through that? You know, Christians that might be swayed to take a more Russia side in this conflict. And I have nothing against the Russian people. I, one of my first missions trips that I remember so dearly was to Russia to help plant a church there when I was like 15. It was Amazing. Uh, I love the Russian people, but I don't believe that what the government is doing is right, you yeah. know, from a Christian perspective. So how would you help people navigate through that? Well, we actually had a men's meeting this week, and there was a question that was kind of similar to that. And and I was thinking about it, and, and I think really all of us have opinions. And in our day of social media, everybody feels like they have to share their opinion about everything. Yes. And we as yes. Christians really need to know that it's not important for me to share my opinion. What's important is the person who's right in front of me and what they are mm. going through. And they can be a pro-Russian mm. personality and they can be spouting all this love of Russia 
and my insides can be completely turned upside down, but I'm still called to love that person because like you said, they are created in the image of God. And by me just coming mm. back with my opinion, isn't going to solve anything. You know, we are in a battle, but mm. it's not mm. against flesh and blood. You know, it's against the principalities and powers that are standing behind these forces. And, and they're telling lies. They're whispering lies in people's ears. And if we just get into these arguments about opinions, we're never going to do anything for the kingdom of God. And so I think we need to, first yeah. of all, take the advice of James. You know, we need to realize that I've, my tongue can do a lot of damage and we just need to be quiet. God gave us mm. two ears and one mouth for a reason. You know, we'll listen twice as much as we speak. And that needs to be especially true in situations like this, I think. I think that's a good place to start. Mm. Good. Yeah. Pam, would you have anything to add to that or Nick? I mean, I, I agree with Chad that going out guns a blazing because somebody is really, and you're thinking the, the guy's, a, you know, a monster. I mean, what are they doing? You know, but it's really... <laughs> It, it's more to love who's in front of you. It really is. And to, and to get into mm. quarrels or arguments about those things, they're kind of non-starters. So, yeah. I'd yes. say, okay, let him, yeah. you know, pray, let him burn out. You know, the Lord will take care mm -hmm. of it. It's good. Yeah, I agree. Just one final thought about the refugee thing. I think that's something that I would really encourage our listeners to be praying for. As these people are coming out of Ukraine and they're displaced, there's a huge opportunity and a huge need for serving these folks in Poland, in Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, and as you mentioned, even in Georgia. And so I would encourage our listeners to be praying about what you can do to support people who are ministering to those who are displaced, both internally. So we know that some of our Calvary Chapel churches are receiving what we call internally displaced peoples. And we know that there are churches in Poland and in Hungary, particularly, who are receiving refugees there. And so be praying about that. And just, you know, my wife's father was a Hungarian refugee who fled during a, an attack by the Soviet Union. And he went to Austria, ended up getting to the United States. And it was in the United States that he heard the gospel mm -hmm. and he was saved. And, you know, sometimes... I think the Lord will, will shake things up and move people, particularly for those reasons, that yeah. he wants to do something. And we don't know what that is yet, but we want to be, mm. we want to be ready. And yeah. Calvary Chapel has a long history, in Europe particularly, of ministering to refugees. My wife and I, that's how we met. We actually served refugees who were part of the Bosnian conflict and the Kosovo conflict who were coming into Hungary, we were serving them in the early 2000s. We saw the Lord do so many things. And um, and I would just encourage people that these are times, as you said, Jed, I couldn't agree more. These are times for the church to shine. You know, these are the times that we were made for. And mm -hmm. so be praying for those opportunities. And I would even say be praying not just about giving, not just about supporting, but even in some cases about going. Yeah, that's true. Well, Jed and Pam, thank you so much. Jed, I want to highlight the fact that you've written a book about the beginnings of Calvary Chapel Kiev, and mm. uh, maybe you could just talk about that book briefly so any of our listeners who want to maybe get more informed on the background of that could check. Yeah, I um, wrote a book in 2014, remarkably the same time that Russia began its incursions into Ukraine. Uh, it was a biography of George Markey, Pam's husband. My father-in-law, I married into the, the family here, and just a remarkable man, a man that I learned so much from just by following his life. And, you know, that's, that's how Paul told Timothy, you know, just 
look at, look at my life, follow my example, you know, my teaching, all that he said. And I really think that the Lord has put us into relationships and that's how we grow. That's how we are discipled. That's how we are changed. And so he had an impact on many people throughout the United States, throughout Indiana, especially where he was for so many years. And then as the Lord took him to Ukraine. And so there's a lot of lessons that I tried to put that I learned in that book. And I got to look at a lot of Pam's journals, uh, a lot of tidbits in there that, that just really tell the story, not only of a remarkable man, but the remarkable God behind that man and the way that churches got started and, and how there were ups and downs. And you don't, I don't, you know, you don't want to just see someone as, oh, such a perfect person. There were mistakes. There were flare-ups. There were weaknesses, but God uses weak people to accomplish his, his greatest good. And uh, so it's called Distant Fields mm. and uh, it's on Amazon. Great. Mm. And just one final thing, Pam, could you tell us what it is that you and Jed are involved in there in Tbilisi? Yes, we, um, we moved here <clears throat> to, to continue the, the Bible college. We felt like the Lord was moving us out of, of Hungary where he's done so much work, as you know, and so many national pastors in Romania, Ukraine, and in, in Hungary itself, and felt that the next sort of wave what's happening was to go east and be able to serve, train up and serve those countries that are surrounded by, by Georgia and in other countries where they can't train up leaders began the Middle East, at least converts from Islam, can't study the Bible there, that we could do that. And, and that's what we, so we moved, I say we moved because it was COVID. And so our first year we weren't in Georgia yet. We were online. We did Zoom. We actually had a couple Georgians that did Zoom with us and we were able to actually move to Georgia to continue the Bible college. It's a Calvary Chapel Bible college. Now we're saying Eurasia because that's where we are. Tbilisi mm. is, is Europe, but it's also Asia, multi-ethnic wonderful place to be able to train up cross-cultural missionaries. And that's kind of, kind of our vision is to do that and to be able to do it with the church plant that's here. Jen and Renee have been here for seven years. Uh, the church is going, we partner together with the church that, so the students are able to be in a live fellowship, making relationships, plus being in a cross-cultural situation where they can learn and so we, we have a two-year program and typically the, the Calvary Chapel two-year program and a one-year mission, actually mission training program or school of mission, because our focus really is to see, see the gospel going out in this, this part of the world. So yeah, that's mm -hmm. what we're doing right now. What's the website for that? It's uh, ccbce.com. Great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People can find more information. Absolutely. There. Yeah. Uh, Nick, if if I could, I know it's not the typical way to end a podcast, but the, the goal of this wasn't to just be a podcast, but to be something to serve our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and our church family. And so would it be all right if we ended this just by praying all of us for the situation? Absolutely. Is that okay? I love it. Let's do it. Okay. I'll, I'll start. And then uh, Jed, maybe after Nick and uh, Pam pray, you could finish. Sure. Um, Lord... We love you so much, and we're so thankful for this opportunity to share with our church family about what's going on. Thank you for helping us understand. Thank you for bringing Pam and Jed to help shine some light into this situation and how we can be praying specifically. 
Jesus, we as Christians, we we hate war, we hate violence, we hate these things, and we're so dismayed to see that this is happening. And we know it's the way of the world. We know it can't be avoided at times, but we pray that you would supernaturally intervene yes, in this situation. We pray that you would bring an end to this conflict with the least amount of loss of life possible. We pray that you would bring unity and and peace between the Christians in Russia and Ukraine, help them not to buy into hatred of one another because of this conflict. Give them Give them a brotherhood in Christ that says we are citizens of the kingdom of God Mm -hmm. before we are citizens of our country. Use the church in Russia and Ukraine to make a difference. Lead Russian Christians to stand against what is going on, to stand against this, to speak out against their government and and to lead their country back uh, to the way of Jesus. Mm -hmm. We pray that you would work radically in this situation, Jesus, in in the way that only you can. Yes, Lord, I pray that in the midst of this situation where there's so much fear and uncertainty, Lord, I pray that you would be drawing people to yourself and to the hope of the gospel and the hope of the resurrection. Lord, we pray that your presence would be a shield and a comfort to those who are hiding and scared. Lord, we pray for those who are internally displaced and those who are refugees in other countries. Lord, that you would, we pray for the children, Lord, who are cold and, um, Lord, we pray that you would be with them. Lord, we pray for those who are on the receiving end, whether it's uh, churches, Lord, just give them a a radical open door and that they would have the boldness and the insight by your spirit to know how to bring comfort and hope through the gospel to those who they are ministering to. And Lord, we pray that this would be something that you use uh, for ultimate good and for your purposes and that we would hear those stories Mm. of how you use this uh, in the lives of many people. I'm so grateful, Father, that you are the God that in the midst of trouble, you deliver in your way, Lord. And so we do pray for that in the name of Jesus. And just as my heart is heavy for those that I know that are going through the the difficulty of just violent situations, Father, I pray that you would comfort by your Holy Spirit, Lord. And I do pray too, Father, that we want your kingdom to come, Lord, your will to be mm-hmm. done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we do, we pray for the salvation of soldiers on both sides who are fighting. We pray that your word would go forth in power and that at this time of people dying and and realizing that they are going to come to an end one day, that they would just turn their eyes and and be drawn Mm to a saving knowledge of you. And so Lord, would you please bring people across their path that could share with them, that could shine the light of Jesus. Mm -hmm to them, Lord, to these who are fighting. And, and Lord, we do pray. We, we would pray for just a divine intervention, just as Aaron prayed, Lord, may, may there be a supernatural word that comes into the, or yeah. fear that comes into these leaders' minds and hearts that would cause them to turn around and just leave. Mm-hmm. And Lord, we do pray that even in the mm-hmm. midst of all the bombings and the chaos and the noise, that, that those in Ukraine on the ground could just be still and know that you are That's God. Right that they could know that you are sovereign, that they could know that you know how many hairs are on top of their heads. You count all their tears, you store them in a bottle. Lord, we just pray that you would uh, just have your hand to bring peace into that situation. Have mercy, Lord, we pray. We plead for your mercy over this senseless death in the name of Jesus. We glorify. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, guys. 
Well, thank you all for being here. We really appreciate it. And I know this will serve the church. Thank you. God bless you guys. God bless. Thanks for your prayers. Thanks, guys.